We're going to be in Luke chapter 9. We're going to be in verse 18. And just hold your finger there for a little bit. I'm titled my, my sermon tonight, Die to Self to Truly Live. Die to Self to Truly Live. Anyone ever heard, uh, seen the movie Ella Enchanted? Ella Enchanted? Whoop, boom, boom, yeah. All right, well, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but there's a fairy, and there's a baby, and the fairy goes and she blesses the baby with a gift, a magical gift of obedience. <laughs> and she said, I have just given you the perfect baby. Well, the problem with that was that she literally had to obey every single thing. Not just her parents said, but everyone else. And eventually, people started to learn about this gift. And it started to really take a toll on Ella. She eventually was actually this, this evil king found out about this gift and was going to use her to murder his nephew so that he could become king of the land. And so she tried to everything possible to like tie herself up to the tree and do all these things. She tried everything to break this blessing, this curse. But this fairy, I want to focus on the fairy. The movie's about Ella. Why don't focus on the fairy? Don't say that often in church, do you? No. <laughs> I'm going to focus on the fairy. The fairy thought she was doing everything right. She thought she was being a blessing. She thought she was helping the parents out. She thought that she was helping Ella out by giving her this gift of obedience, having a good relationship with her family, being in perfect submission to her parents. But when evil people found out about it, it kept being distorted. When evil found out, it kept turning it to evil. Like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, he said, you're trying to offer me this ring of power, but I would try to use this ring for good, but through me it would wield a great evil. Oftentimes in our lives, we can kind of feel like everything we try to do just falls on its face. We keep trying to do good, but it ends up evil ensues. We try to cover up things by telling people little white lies. Oh no, those pants don't make you look fat. We lie, little do, th do these things. We try to make things better, but oftentimes in our world, we tend to make things worse at times. This trajectory that we're on is our own. It's our own making. It's our own doing. We're thinking what we think is right in our own minds. The Bible even has a, a, a passage for this, an entire book of the Bible called Judges about where everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and it went horribly wrong. So much so that a guy's concubine died, and he cut her into 12 pieces and spread her throughout the land. That's how dark things got. It got dark because people did whatever was right in their own eyes, trying to do good, but through them, evil wielded more evil. As we get into our passage here tonight, Luke 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verses 18 through, 20, through 36, 
have this in our mind. Like, what is the trajectory? What, where, where do we get our decision-making processes from? Who is truly Lord of our lives? Who is on the throne of authority in our own lives, in our hearts, and in our minds? So stand with me, if you will. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9. We're going to read this together. And so we want to stand together for the honoring of God's word. Because again, I want to remind us that this is the authority. This, if you get nothing else out of our sermon tonight, may God and his Holy Spirit preach to you through this, most importantly and most powerfully. So starting in verse 18. While he was praying in private and and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, well, John the Baptist. Well, others, Elijah. Still others, you know, that one of the ancient prophets has come back. Hmm. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. But he strictly warned them and and instructed them, to tell this to no one, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised the third day. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. And that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. About eight days later, after the conversation, he took Peter, James, and John and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his, of his departure, with which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Jesus and those with him were in a deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Oh, Master, it's good for us to be here. Uh, uh, Let's set up three shelters, Uh, one for you and and one for Moses and uh, one for uh, Elijah. Not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from heaven, from the cloud, saying, This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and at all, and at that time told no one what they had seen. Lord Jesus, we pray tonight that you would open up your words to us. Teach us, God, what you were wanting to teach your disciples on that night, on that day. Lord, teach us by your Holy Spirit, your heart for each and every one of us and for us collectively here tonight. I pray your blessing on each person. God, open our hearts and open our minds to receive what you would have for us to to receive. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may have a seat. (coughs) So that point here tonight, 
die to self to truly live. Now, this isn't some macabre, you know, appeal to commit suicide. This is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not some, you know, weird cult that's, you know, with the Kool-Aid and the Nike shorts. and <laughs> We use grape juice, not Kool-Aid. <laughs> but it's dying to ourselves. Again, that question, who is on the throne of your life? Who is the one at the control panel? If you've seen the movie Inside Out, all the little aliens inside of, of the girl, you know, her different emotions, you know, joy and sadness and, and happiness and all these things, you know, disgust and anger. And, you know, who is at the control panel of your life? Who is there? And how do we guide our lives? Let's look at Jesus in this passage. The very first thing it tells us, what does it say? While he was praying, powerful prayer yields real revelation. This, This passage here bookends with prayer. He's praying somewhere private, and then he's praying on the mountain. And both times, something amazing amazing happens, which we'll get to here in a minute. Major revelations always occur around and directly related to Jesus's prayers. Major revelations of God happen when you pray in the Spirit. Because if we are praying, what do we believe about prayer? That works. That we're actually talking to the very real creator God of all things. That we are speaking directly to him who died on the cross, was buried, and three days later rose again from the dead. We are talking directly to him. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through an intercessor. We don't have to go through, you know, sacrificing an animal on on an altar. We can speak directly to the creator God of the universe in our spirit. Do you believe it? Yes. Honestly, ask yourself that question. Do I believe it? James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Ephesians says this, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. In our spirit, in our heart, as Jesus even said, one day you will not worship on this mountain or that mountain, talking about you know, arguing with the Samaritan woman by the well. He said, the time is coming, end is now here, when my followers will worship me in spirit and in truth. We pray in the spirit and in truth. Motivation matters to God. Jesus' call to his disciples, you know, kind of sounds arbitrary and kind of odd as they had, you know, already left everything. You're talking about the, when Jesus is talking, when he's saying, you must pick up your cross daily. What does he say? Deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily. Follow me. And I'm going to kind of be skipping around a little bit, but I want you to see how all of these, this section in Luke is all connected. It's one narrative. And it's all connecting to one another. And so this section is connecting to the one before it. 
The proclamation of Messiah is, talk, is, is appealing to his, um, his appeal to them to deny everything. They had already left. The disciples, think about this, entire identity. They left everything. They were no longer a flooring guy. They were no longer a construction guy. They were no longer a Starbucks manager. They were no longer a price right employee. These were people who their very identity now was only and simply follower of Jesus. That's it. They become so wrapped up in who Jesus was because of their devotion to him. Then they followed him, but also then how Jesus had empowered them. He empowered them to go out and do and, and, and preach. What he, They went and healed and they cast out demons because Jesus sent them. Their very lives had become so wrapped up in who Jesus is, he wanted to know what they thought of him. It's like, well, you've, you've left everything. You've left your father and your mother and you've left your jobs. You've left your entire means of providing for your family. What do you think? How's it going? Kind of a follow-up. What do you think? What do you think of me? What do people, what do other, well, let's start with that. What do other people think about me? Let's go over there. Well, what, what do they see? They, the, you know, others, all these different things associated Jesus with the prophets, both new and old. Right from the very beginning, he said, you're John the Baptist. That's a new prophet for, for them. And then going back to Elijah, and the ancient prophets that maybe came back, like Obadiah or Daniel or something like that. But it's interesting to hear Peter's words. You are God's Messiah. Lord Messiah. Anointed one, this deliverer, savior. In the book of Judges, we talked about it. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Things went badly for them. Stuff hit the fan. They started to get conquered and suffering, and they cried out to God together, and God sent a deliverer, an anointed one, a savior, a Messiah figure. And he rallied Israel together, and they came together, and they fought their enemies, and they delivered themselves, and yay, let's worship God again. And then another, a new generation came by, and they forgot God. Their parents didn't teach their kids the faith. But you see this cycle in Judges. And Joshua and Judges, where they're, they're do good for a while, and then, and they cry out, and they're like, yay! And then, again. Like you talk about that, uh, that the quote that's been going around. You know, strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create difficult times, or hard times. And hard times create difficult situations. And difficult situations create strong men and women. It's a cyclical thing that they never learned from. And so when we come to this Messiah, who is Jesus as Messiah? In Matthew it says, you know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for, you know, flesh and blood and your own intellect and, you know, has not shown you this, but only my Father in heaven. The Holy Spirit has given you this revelation. This is awesome. Now, shh, let's keep that on the, on the DL. Because, like, like we've always been talking, like we talk about, you know, that... The, the people in this time had such baggage attracted, you know, surrounding that word Messiah. 
that he was supposed to be a great military leader or a great political leader to deliver them from the Romans and the oppression of the Jewish leaders. And all these different people had a different picture of the Messiah. The zealots were like the jihadists, Jewish you know, army militia that would hide in the hills and come down and try to you know, kill the Romans here and there. There's resistance. So they thought that Jesus was this great military leader. Other people thought he was political to push away the Romans and false teachers. Jesus was not what they expected. But for the, as, the, as much as the disciples were concerned, he was far too much, he was far more than they could even dare to walk away from. They're like, this guy's not what I thought he was supposed to be. But dang, he's cool. He's healing people. People that have never walked in their lives are now walking. People who are blind are now seeing. Because he spit on them. Ew. <laughs> Casting out demons. All these incredible things. He's like, it's not the, ex- the Messiah I was expecting, but he's good still. He's still good. Far beyond I can even put words to. He was the Messiah God had always intended. But here's a thought for us tonight. The person who's at the helm of your life is your Savior. And you will always lean back upon that Savior to help you in times of trouble. Is it you? If Jesus is your Savior, he needs to be your only Savior. The word Savior, saving, healing, deliverer. I want to focus on that word healing, bringing healing to your life, meaning, purpose. Who do you say your Savior is? Think about that question. Maybe write that question down on your your handout. Who is my Savior? Maybe this is a question you don't necessarily feel like you answer completely. You just need to go, go home and content, contemplate it. Who is truly, who, who truly arises to the control panel of your life? Is it money? Is it work? Is it maybe food? Comfort? Alcohol? Marijuana? Cigarettes? Etc. Because when you decide that Jesus is your Savior, you're saying, Jesus, you are the one and the only one at the helm of my life. Think of the bumper sticker. What did it say? God is my co-pilot. I've heard some people say, well, I'm going to make God the pilot, and I'm just going to get not even the backseat, I'm going to get in the trunk. Look, God completely in that. Not even how to say, you know, not going to be even a backseat driver to God. But I think God invites us to the passenger seat. And maybe there might be some truth that God is our co-pilot because he has entrusted us to live a life that is navigated by him. But he still lets us make the, the actual decision with the hands. So we need God as our navigator, not the series or the Alexas or the 
Nate, you fill in the blanks in our lives. But here's the deal. When you choose to make God the Savior, the true Savior of your life, the one and only, when you choose to, like it says here, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily, which we'll get to in a minute here, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever, wants to, whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Like the old illustration of the raccoon. You ever seen that? The raccoon, you know how to, how to catch a raccoon? You have a trap, and all you do is you put something shiny in the middle of it, but, so, but the opening of the hole for him to put his arm in is just big enough for him to slip his hand in, but when he grabs it, his hand is too big to let go. And he will not let go even though it costs him his very life. Because he wants that shiny thing. Are you like a raccoon? That we, we see the shiny thing that, uh, that, that is luring us in with its promises, that's luring us in with its, with its promises of, 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 of happiness, of satisfaction, of escape even for just a little bit, even just for just an evening. And it's the shiny piece of metal that's killing us. Even seemingly small addictions like Netflix. It was killing my marriage. Literally. We thought we were spending time together. We were sitting right there on the couch together. There were months we didn't talk. Because of the shiny. It was killing our marriage. When you choose to make Jesus your Savior, you will face opposition. That's what it means right here. To take up your cross daily. Jesus hadn't died yet. This, so what was Jesus' meaning in this position? Was he saying, hey, I'm going to die on a cross, so you need to get ready to pick up your cross too? Not what he's saying. The cross was a very... A very recognizable symbol, not just of death, but of oppression. Human oppression, fear of man, fear of government, fear of repercussions if you were too faithful to your God. Just a, a few years before Jesus was born, the Romans crucified over 2,000 Jews between the road from Jerusalem and Galilee. And so, and not only that, but they slaughtered their families in front of their eyes as they were dying on crosses. They understood oppression. If you choose to make the Lord your God, if you make claim to make, if you want to make Jesus your Savior, the Lord of your life, you will face human opposition. Because human opposition often accompanies devotion to truth. Even saying that there is such thing as truth in our day to day, in our, day, in our, our life today. Is scandalous. To stand up here for me to say, there is one truth, and it's God's. And we just have to wrap our minds around trying to figure out what that is. What his truth is. And not to be like, oh, I'm going to find my truth. No such thing. If it's you, it ain't true. If it can change, it's not truth. God is unchanging. Let's look at the opposition he was talking about here in verse 22. 
He says the, you know, the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, these were the experts or the professors and lawyers in the law. Uh, this made up what this group that's called the Sanhedrin, which we'll get to in, in a few years uh, <laughs> once we get there. It was this, this was the political group that would eventually conspire to illegally, mind you, condemn Jesus to the Gentile authorities in order to murder him because they couldn't control him and they couldn't kill him themselves because they didn't have the, the authority biblically to. But they hated him so much that they murdered him. This is a formal, Jesus is saying basically, this is a formal rejection by the official Jewish leadership. This is a weird goal. This would be like saying, hey guys, my goal here tonight is to be completely rejected by the Belgrade City, City Hall, completely rejected by the Gallatin County officials, and by the state of Montana and the United States of America. We're going to become outlaws overnight. Y'all good with that? Let's go. Not there. <laughs> You're good with that? Not there. That's what Jesus is saying. Everyone who is in authority, he's going to get on their, on their, on their poop list, on their blacklist. That is his goal. Everyone will hate and reject you. Jesus, however, don't remember, you know, remember this, hear this. Jesus will never call you to something that he did not suffer himself first and show us how to do it. That we can stand in the midst of, suf of suffering, of hatred and rejection. And when he says, he will suffer many things, be rejected, killed, and raised. This is the first of six. Get, write it down. Six times Jesus told them this. And still, look, at, we'll, we'll get here again in a few years. But he said, you know, think about this. He, the, the men at the tomb, when Jesus rose from the dead, had to remind the women of this again. They heard this six times from Jesus' mouth. Hey, guys, I guess what? I'm going I'm to go to Jerusalem here in a little bit. And I'm, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to get, get killed. And then I'm going to get buried. But don't worry, bro, y'all, BRB. I'll be right back. YOLO, JK, BRB. <laughs> One of my favorite memes right now. I love it. <laughs> but Jesus told them six times. And he, they, the women had to be reminded. And then he had to tell the two disciples on the, on the road, on the little road trip back to Emmaus. He was like, dude, seriously, guys? Come, I, I told you this. Okay, who's, who's got toddlers? Or who had toddlers? You know the pain. I have told you five times. Stop it. Stop putting your mouth on the water filter. You may have had that one today. Sorry, I'm bringing you into my counseling here. I should stop. <laughs> it's great to know, parents, that Jesus was the same annoyed as you. It's awesome to know that. Jesus didn't smack them upside the head. I don't have to either. There's patience available for me. Or as the, the old quote says, what we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> Jesus' disciples must lose their lives to save them. Doesn't mean die. He's lose control. 
submit yourselves. Lay down your power and your authority. That's what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life. That you are far smarter, I am far dumber. And having that humility to recognize it. And admit it. Say, God, I need you. And Jesus must die to save his disciples. So he says, anyone who loses his life because of me will save it. If anyone desires to come to Jesus, then rejection by many will follow. Self-sacrifice, hear me on this, is the antithesis to self-preservation. There's no self-preservation in the kingdom of God. If self-preservation is a key motivator, is a key motivation for you, then you're not going to respond to Jesus and be saved. Or if you're true, if you're, if you're, if you're truly in, in self-preservation mode, then really it actually should. Because if you truly want to save your life and to preserve your life, you will give it up. You will put down the shiny and slip your hand out. Give up the garbage. Give up the crap. Give up the sin. Give up the stinking thinking. And slip your hand out from that slavery. One who is willing to risk rejection will respond and find true and eternal life. Write this question down. What is a key motivator for self-sacrifice? What is someone, why would someone be willing to give up their life? People in the military, people in World War II, why were they willing to go to Normandy and run out of, out of a boat just to get a bullet to the head. What is the true motivator of self-sacrifice? And I would say it is this. Hope. And a future. For those we love. Is that I am going to lay down my life because it means something. I'm going to live my life for something bigger and greater and different than what I think is best because it matters. Die to self to truly live. There is life after death. There is glory and sacrifice. Not a self-gratifying happiness, but a God-glorifying glory. God-gratifying glory. But here's the thing, guys. Tell me yellow. There's no such thing in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as YOLO. You know, if, you're, if you guys don't know, know what YOLO is, you only live once. <laughs> you only live once is what YOLO means. Uh, or as the phrase would say, live for today. Or as Robin Williams would say in Dead Poets Society, seize the day! Carpe diem! Seize the carp. If you're a fisher. Scripture articulates this motto, this worldly, this worldly mentality as, as saying this, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. 1 Corinthians 15.32 This is living in unbelief of anything after death. So therefore we should invest all we can into this life. That means no future, no savior, no existence after this. Rather, in the kingdom of God, in the church, we believe in the resurrection life eternal and that we 
that what we do in this life is defined by our belief in eternity. Our decision-making process is guided by not only the hope that there is an eternal life after this, so even if we die, we will live eternally with him, but that what, how we govern our lives, that we put God at the helm of our lives. Because it matters to him. To die and, uh, to self and human opposition, giving even our very lives to be ruined and humiliated and belittled and dishonored and even martyred, fired, because of our devotion to the eternal kingdom of God and his righteousness is more important than fear of man. We must begin and end with the belief that it is finished. That it is in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and equally, if not more important, to remember, preach, and live in the power of the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, Jesus was just another religious martyr. But with the resurrection, he is Lord. He is God. And he can save you. Save me. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read a few verses here. This is a wonderful... I pick up 1 Corinthians 15. I was tempted to read the whole chapter, but we won't. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he was raised up, that he, that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. But for, you know, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Skipping ahead to, to 51. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, meaning die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. Here it is. Here it is. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? This is a divine, come at me, bro. Come at me, bro. You got nothing. And here's why this matters. Because of the belief in the resurrection, he's saying that we need to be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Him at the helm because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why? Because Christ is risen from the dead. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. That's how we live life with God at the helm. Because we know that no matter where he leads, it will be good. Even if it is to death, it is good. Even if it is to suffering, it is good. Even if it's to losing all of our friends because we give up our old lifestyles, it is good because his life is better. His grace is better. Our God is greater. We pick up our cross and lay down our crowns 
to be lifted up and raised to life. The Christian life is not a, I'm a Christian. Come follow me to Jesus. He's good. It's not a boring life. It's an exciting life living with God, walking by His Spirit, living a community with brothers and sisters in Christ, and calling one another brothers and sisters, and giving one another hugs because of Jesus alive in us. There's love automatically in between us. If you want to be great, if you want to, if you want to have a life filled with joy and purpose, it takes laying down what you think is best for your life and putting on what God thinks is best for his life, not yours. Don't consider your life to be my life. See it as a gift, as a tool for God to use to do whatever he wants to do, not a possession for you to hoard. Jesus was transfigured on the mount, this last section here, for others to be transformed. The witnesses, they, these three guys, that, you know, Peter, James, and John, went up the mountain and they witnessed the divinity of Jesus and the glory of God. And this moment became a powerful testimony. That's why we're hearing about it. That's why we're reading about it 2,000 years later. This became a part of the core of their gospel message. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, but God, remember this one time? Oh my gosh, I remember this one time. We went up on the mountain and Jesus started praying, and oh my gosh, he started glowing. I don't know what a glow stick is. It'll be invented in a few thousand years, but dang, Jesus was a glow stick. <laughs> he may have been a vampire because his sparkly... Was, <laughs> no just kidding. It was a Twilight joke. Never mind. <laughs> I do love movies too much. Man, I earned that shirt. I, I speak fluent movie quotes. Because here's the bottom line. Unless you lay down your desire for self-preservation and reputation, you won't be able to experience the fullness of God's goodness and glory in your life today. You won't. Keep holding on to your life and saying, I, I gotta, I, I've known this. I know this to be safe. I know, I've known this all my life, and I don't know life any, any other way. I, can't, I don't feel comfortable giving up control. My way's better, God. Wait, my way's better, God? You created me in my mother's womb. You created this world. You're kind of smart. Hmm. Jesus is the Son of God, his chosen one. As, it said, as God the Father said from in the cloud, we need to listen to him, do what he says, and invite others to do the same for God's glory and our joy. The hardest thing oftentimes for us to do, guys, as humans, is to pursue our own joy. Is to pursue that which truly brings purpose. We keep running to the junk, thinking that it'll be different this time. All it does is numb it. It doesn't actually improve anything. It makes it, it, makes it worse. The upside-down, counterintuitive kingdom of God, the way to live life and actually through, you know, is, and actually through death, says, you know, this says the, the way to financial flourishing is actually through generosity. Stewardship. Peace through forgiveness, not vengeance. Living in God's grace. Greatness is through service, not power and position. Humility. 
self-sacrifice instead of self-preservation. How do we do all this? How do we pursue this kingdom? How do we pursue this upside-down, counterintuitive, God at the helm, direction, giving us direction, and being our Lord and our Savior? How do we pursue this? Like Jesus did. Because remember, that powerful prayer yields real revelation. Jesus was transfigured while praying. Gee, uh, Peter had this revelation of, of him as God's Messiah after Jesus had been praying. Jesus was transfigured while praying. Major revelations of God happen when we pray in the Spirit. So how do we die to ourselves? How do we pursue God at the helm? How do we live and truly live a life that is fulfilling, that is meaningful, that is purposeful? We need to die to self to truly live, and that means prayer. Prayer. We need to be a church of prayer. And I want to give us three opportunities, three, three practical things that we can, boom, start tonight. The first thing is I want to invite you guys uh, so every Sunday night, starting August 22nd, we're going to meet right here. And we're going to pray as a church. Amberlynn and I are going to be here. Anyone who wants to come and join us, every Sunday night from 7 to 8, starting August uh, 22nd, it's in your, your handout there. We're going to pray and we're going to seek the heart of God for our church. We're going to seek the heart of God for our community, for our lives, for our leadership, for our elders, and for us as a church, for our, for our brothers and sisters for what God wants to do in our church and in our city. Also, second is intercessory, intercession prayer, intercessory prayer. This is spiritual warfare prayer. It's one of our values, having, being ready for spiritual warfare. And if we're not actually praying spirit, you know, strategically, we're like doing a pinata prayer, trying to you know, figure out God's, try to hit the mark. But when we focus on spiritual warfare, intercessory prayer, it's like aligning ourselves with the general and getting a, a battle plan for each other, for advancing the kingdom of God in this city. And so if you're interested, there's a program called SPAN uh, through our, our, our friends over at the River Church that Amberlynn and I have been partaking in. And it is fantastic. It is phenomenal. Uh, we have seen such incredible fruit already. Uh, from us being a part of it. So I kind of, I wanted to be a part of it and kind of test it out just to see if we wanted to in integrate it here as a church. And so I would love to invite you to partake in this. I, I'll have more information about that. But this is doing spiritual warfare strategically, fighting for one another, fighting for our households, fighting for our church, fighting for the kingdom of God in this city. So I don't want to go too much more into that, but please uh, uh, come and talk to me if you are feeling led in your spirit. Again, pray about it. Maybe God might be calling you to intercessory prayer, but you haven't, no, you don't know because you haven't prayed about it. So pray about it, which leads us to our third one, personal prayer and devotion. We need to be spending time with our Jesus. We need to be spending time with our Savior. And so that starts with prayer. If you haven't given your life to Christ and made him Lord of your life and given him the keys to your heart, given him the helm to your life, put him on the throne and made him Lord of your life, tonight's a great, day, great night to do it. If you want to say, if you, if you believe that, that God really does want your good, that he wants your joy and your flourishing, proclaim your faith in him. I pray that, you, that no one here tonight would leave 
without experiencing the very real and tangible Jesus here tonight. Give your life to him. I'll be, I'll be in, the, in the back uh, in a chair. If you want to give your life to Jesus, I would love to, to sit and pray with you as you give your life to Jesus Christ. And uh, if you have one more information, want to have a conversation and talk more about what that means, I'd love to go out to coffee with you sometime this week, sometime, you know, sometime or other, if you want to know more about the Christian faith. If you're a Christian and you want to know more about your Christian faith and how to live it more practically every day, I'd love to take you out for coffee and talk more about that. So um, prayer, it, we need to be a church of prayer, creating a culture of prayer at Shift Church. Because without knowing our, our general, without knowing our good Lord and Savior, without knowing our, our Father through prayer, we won't be able to live by his guidance. Spend time with him daily. Even if it's just for 15 minutes, you've got to figure that out. When can you place it in your day? So I want to encourage you with that. So come and join the prayer night, intercessory prayer, and personal prayer and devotion. Uh, speaking of prayer, let's, we're going to pray, and we're going to, ta- we're going to spend time uh, in communion here this evening together. Jesus, I thank you for your spirit. God, I, I thank you, God, for, for speaking to us. God, I thank you that you are our Lord and our Savior that you died on the cross. You died on the cross for our sins, to bring restoration, to bring joy, to bring flourishing to our lives. Lord, to free us from sin, to free us from this world, to free us from ourselves, and to lead us on the path of life everlasting. A, A good path, God we will only follow you on that path. Lead us to flourishing, God. Lead us to pray. Stir in in our hearts, God, a desire, a yearning, a hunger to spend time in your presence because you are good. You are loving. You give grace in times of need. And you've invited us into relationship with you and invited us into relationship with one another so that we can speak words of life over one another in this beautiful thing that you love and you cherish called the church, your kingdom, God. Pray that you would further your kingdom and, Lord, that you would just bring health and flourishing to your kingdom here starting at Shift Church, God. We love you. and We pray that you would use this, use this teaching and use this scripture passage to create deep roots in our lives of transformation, God. First, in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.